Deuteronomy 6, 1 through 9, called the greatest commandment. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules, that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over, to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Uh, good afternoon, you guys. Um, we got a lot of ground to cover. Um, we started a little late, so let me pray for us, and we'll go ahead and get started, okay? Uh, Father, I thank you so much uh, for uh, my friends here. I thank you so much for your word. Um, and um, man, God just says, uh, right now, even you know, Lord, like my, my, own, my own soul is just shaken up uh, by some news that I just got. And so I pray that, uh, Lord, you would just still my heart uh, speak through me for the good of uh, my brother and sisters right here. Uh, and I pray, Lord, that you would just uh, shape us by your spirit and by your truth. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, so we are continuing our, our short series that we're doing on relationships here, uh, because if there's one area that we, we struggle to apply the gospel in, it's in our relationships, right? Like, we, we, we're asking the question, what difference does Jesus actually make in the relationships around me? What difference does Jesus make in my friendships, in my marriage, in my parenting, and how we view our neighbors, and how we view our enemies, right? And so we're going to be talking about all of those throughout this series, but today we're going to focus on parenting, all right? We're going to be talking about parenting, but before we get into the text, uh, let me tell you why not to check out if you don't have kids, all right? So here's why you don't check out if you are not a parent. A parent. Uh, one, uh, this text is in the Bible, right? Uh, Bible's God's word, right? Second Timothy, we're told that all scripture, including Deuteronomy, is breathed out for us. It's inspired by God, and it's useful for us so that we can do the work that God has called us to do. Uh, and so that first and foremost, that's the most important reason, right? Like it's in the scriptures. Um, but number two, you might be called to be a parent one day. You might have children one day. And so this is going to apply to you. Number three, if you are a Christian who belongs to this church, you need to know that at King's Cross, we are passionate about this. All right. We're passionate about the next generation. Family is a part of what God intended with his creation, and we believe that parents have a calling on how to raise a family in the ways of the Lord. And so if you don't have children, this will give you a glimpse of our heartbeat as a church on the topic of parenting. It will also help you and equip you as a brother or sister in Christ to come alongside those who do have kids, right? 
we're doing child dedications soon, like Alyssa just announced. And, and as she said, like child dedications, part of that is not just you dedicating your child to the Lord and making a thing of that, but it's also the church coming alongside you and saying, hey, we recognize this decision that you're making. We recognize this dedication right now. And so it would help you to, uh, uh, as a brother or sister of Christ who does not have kids, it would help you just to know uh, how to support and pray for and encourage those of us who are parents. Uh, and lastly, uh, maybe if you're not a Christian, if you're not a Christian, and uh, I know that there's um, some people who, who maybe stream online or uh, who visit from time to time uh, that are still considering this whole Jesus thing, uh, if you're not a Christian, you need to know that Jesus changes everything for the better. And that includes how we view family and parenting. He's the answer to everything that is wrong and broken in this world. And he's the answer to everything that's wrong and broken in our families. And today you're going to get a glimpse into what God has to say about his plan for families in every generation and the difference that Jesus makes in terms of our, our purpose, our vision, our calling as parents. And so with that, would you turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. So we're talking about parenting and family, what God intends for the family. All right, before we get into the text, I want to read this quick quote to you from Martin Luther, the great reformer. He says, God grants offspring or children, and he commands that they be brought up to worship and serve him. In all the world, this is the noblest and most precious work, because to God there can be nothing dearer than the salvation of souls. There is no greater or nobler authority on earth than that of parents over their children. For this authority is both spiritual and temporal. In other words, your, your job as a parent is spiritual. It has eternal implications, but it's also temporal. It's just a short assignment that you have. And that makes uh, heeding the call in this all the more important. Now, there are so many places in the Bible that we could go to to talk about family, to talk about parenting, but this passage in Deuteronomy 6 is particular, uh, particularly foundational. It lays the groundwork for God's plan for families. So let me quickly set the stage for Deuteronomy chapter 6, all right? So we've got God's people, the nation of Israel, uh, and what you've had is an entire generation who is not faithful to the Lord, right? And so God says, hey, you guys are not going to get to see the promised land, right? You're not going to get to see the promised land, uh, and they get, they get wiped out. They don't, get to, they don't survive to see the promised land, and there's this new generation that rises up, and they're about to enter the promised land, all right? And this new generation, they're about to enter, and God says to them, hey, check it out, before you go in, I want you to recommit yourselves to me covenantally, right? Kind of like, hey, let's, let's make this a thing. Let's renew our vows, God's saying. Let's go back and re-preach what you learned previously. Go back and reteach the law that was given to you. That's what the book of Deuteronomy is all about. Deuteronomy is all about that. Deuteronomy literally means second law. And it's not that this is another law in addition to the law that was given them to before, but, but a repeat, a retelling, a re-preaching of the law. And so God tells Moses, and he says, hey, go teach them these things again. Reteach it to them so that they know the expectations, so they know what's about to go down so that if they do ever get kicked out of the promised land for acting like idiots, they won't be surprised, right? 
It's like growing up, you know, you grow up and, and your parents, whenever they'd have these work friends over for dinner, there's this nice spread on the table, right, because they want to impress their, their coworkers, and they brought like the fanciest dessert, like the one that you always want, but they say that you can't afford, right, but they actually get that fancy dessert, and then they call all you kids together in the dining room before the guests show up, and they get down to your level, look you in the eyes so you know that they're serious, and they really tenderly say, hey, if you embarrass me tonight, I will embarrass you, right? I will send you to your room without dessert, without that fancy dessert. None of this, we're going to wait till our guests leave. No, I'm going to embarrass you in front of them, right? Like that's kind of the idea that, that God is, is doing here through Moses in Deuteronomy. And so God through Moses says to this new generation, he says, hey, here's my word. Here's my word that's going to lead you to joy. That's going to lead you to life in this land that I'm taking you now into. Let's reestablish that. This covenant, okay? So with that, let's look at the text. Uh, chapter six, verse one. Here's what Moses says on behalf of God. He says, now this, this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it. So here's point number one. We got a lot of points to go through, but don't worry, they're short points, all right? Point number one, good parenting is God's idea and part of his mission in the world, all right? Good parenting, the idea came from him. Verse one, Moses says, God has commanded me to tell you these things. In other words, Moses is saying, hey, look, this isn't just my opinion. This isn't just Moses' opinion on this whole thing, but this is the very word of God. This, what you're about to hear, comes from the heart and the mind of God, his covenant expectations for his people. And there is a particular way that God wanted them to live and to behave. Not only was, uh, was, was what he was calling them to going to be for their own joy, but he wanted them to also be perceived as people who've been set apart and set aside for his purposes, as image bearers of God, as a people of God. I mean, the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament tell us that, that they were called out of slavery and they were given, put into this new land so that they could display to the world the glory of God. That's the mission of God's people all the time. This is why Jesus prayed in John 17 when he says, Lord, sanctify, uh, or in other words, set them apart in truth. He's praying for all the disciples throughout history, including us. He's saying, set them apart in the truth. Your word is truth. And as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. You see, and that's how good parenting is part of God's mission in the world. He's, we're raising up humans who, who know and love God so that when we send them out into the world, they live for the glory of God and for the good of others. Verse number two. Is that me? It is. <laughs> That's so embarrassing. Uh, <clears throat> um, uh, can somebody hand me my water back there, if you don't, if you don't mind? <clears throat> um, I can feel it coming on. Just spiritual warfare. <laughs> just, <yeah. laughs> just kidding. <laughs> All right. So... Um, Good parenting is part of God's mission in the world, right? We're raising up humans to live for the glory of God and for the good of others. And then verse 2, verse 2 of Deuteronomy 6, it says that you may fear the Lord or, or your God. 
Now, really quick, we need to be careful with this when we're talking about the fear of the Lord, right? Like the fear of the Lord, it's not a kind of fear where you're terrified of God, where you run away from and hide from him, but it's a type of fear where you understand that God is so big, so awesome, so holy, so other than us, that you want your life to just have more of him. You're like, man, this God is inexhaustible. I want more of him. He satisfies me. He sustains me. You know, it's not that you want to run from him, but you know that the best place for you is to run towards him because in him alone is found truth, goodness, and grace. And so the fear of the Lord is ultimately just acknowledging God's power and his nature over you. That he is so revered, so holy, so far apart from, so far past where, where I am and what I am, that he's so up here and I am so down here that my posture is just one of deep humility because I know who he is and I know who I am in light of who he is. All right, so that's number one. Good parenting is God's idea and part of his mission in the world. Number two, good parenting is humble before God humble before God. And we get this from the verse we just read about the fear of the Lord, right? One of the more popular verses on the fear of the Lord concept is uh, Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10, which says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of what? Wisdom. It's the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is insight, right? Now, there's a difference between knowledge and wisdom, all right? There's some places where it says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but here it says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now, knowledge is merely just knowing stuff, right? Like, hey, I know the difference between this thing and that thing. But wisdom, wisdom is knowing how to apply the knowledge you have to actual everyday life. That's wisdom. And so look, the fear of the Lord as the beginning of, not, of wisdom, is not just knowing that God is great. It's not just knowing God's greatness. It's not just about acknowledging, hey, God is great and I am not. Jesus says even the demons tremble before God in that way. No, living in the fear of the Lord is actively and intentionally placing yourself under the authority of God because of who he is, because he's so great and awesome. It's intentional. It's purposeful. It's saying, God, you are so holy. You are so awesome. You are so beautiful. You're so merciful. You're so faithful. You're so true. And I am so not. I'm the opposite. And because of that, because of that, I'm going to take what you've taught me. I'm going to live under your authority by the grace that's found in Jesus Christ. And so look, when we say the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, what does that mean? It means if you want to be wise about anything, it starts with a humble respect of who God is. You can't know how to love and sacrifice. You can't know your role in marriage and parenting unless you're submitted to God in a way that says, look, I want to know what God thinks about this before I determine what I think about this. All right, so verse 2 continues. He says that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son, and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I commanded you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Now, if you think about it, what does this verse kind of sound like? What does it remind you of? If you grew up around the church, it kind of reminds you of the Great Commission, doesn't it? 
right? Keep all the statutes, commandments, which I've commanded you all the days of your life. Jesus said in Matthew 28, he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you, and behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. So this leads us to point number three, is that good parenting is about a discipleship legacy. It's about a disciple-making legacy. Now, what is discipleship? If you're kind of new to this Christianity thing, you might not know what that word means. Discipleship is basically the process by which you grow in Christ, right? It's you growing and maturing in Christ. Moses says, the depths of discipleship in your home should be so deep and so rich that it starts spilling over into the next generation. And the faithfulness is so rich in each generation that it just keeps spilling over into the next. You see, he's calling them, to have such an intentional culture of teaching and discipleship in the family that a few generations down the timeline, people who don't even exist yet will be impacted by your faithfulness. That's what Moses is saying. The truth is, look, the truth is we're doing discipleship every single day. We're doing discipleship every single day. With the conduct of our lives, we're showing our kids who's worth listening to and who's worth following. All right? Like every single one of us, we receive all kinds of messaging throughout the day that shapes us and that forms us. We want our kids to know where to find their greatest treasure, where to find their greatest reward. And so you also need to know that if you're not going to disciple your children, somebody else will. Our children are being discipled by a culture that wants them to be consumers, wants them to be consumers at every new turn, wants them to be consumers, that wants them to have a particular view of the world. I was listening to a podcast on family discipleship uh, this last week, and this youth pastor who has been like serving for decades was talking about how rapidly the world has changed in the last 10, 15 years. And how powerful social media has, has changed the way that young minds are forming. And he, and he talked about how, man, he's never seen pornography be such a, a problem at such a young age as he does now. He said he's never seen girls have such uh, uh, debilitating body issues as, as he does now. He's never had to counsel children and parents on gender issues until now. You see, in this cultural climate, good parenting is going to have to look like teaching our kids how to swim upstream. All right, point number four, good parenting rests in God's faithfulness, right? Like if you feel kind of like anxious and discouraged by everything I've said so far, uh, be comforted by this. Good parenting rests in God's faithfulness. Verse number three, he says, Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. You see, good parenting is not anxious, right? And there's a lot to be anxious about in this world. There's a lot to be anxious about in this generation. But good parenting is not anxious. It's being a steady, faithful presence that trusts in the Lord. Like when your heart's posture is in the fear of the Lord, that's what it does. It it makes your heart well. That's what verse 3 says, right? 
Look, I know that some of you, I know that some of you struggle with, with shame and with guilt in this area of parenting. You know the ways that you've messed up. You know the ways that you're missing the mark. Hey, let me confess, I do too. 100%, I do too. But find comfort in knowing that there are mercies, new mercies, available to us every single new day. And God knows what your children need. He knows where they're going to be tomorrow. He just asks that you be faithful with them today, and he's with you. And you know what? The Bible says that where we are weak, God is strong. Jesus says that he will be with us in that work of discipleship to the end of the age. You just got to show up. Show up, walk by grace, and let yourself be surprised by what he can do through you and for your family. <clears throat> I recently read the story of two different sea voyage voyages. Um, the first one is the one you probably all know about, uh, the sinking of the Titanic, right? When the, the tragedy of the Titanic happened in 1912, um, hey, hey, Haddon, Haddon, shh, see, that's parenting right there, all right? Um, so when the Titanic happened in 1912, more people drowned than needed to, okay? But like 20 lifeboats launched from the ship uh, before they were even filled, right? They were only partially filled, but all these lifeboats were like, oh, let's get out of here as fast as we can. Only one of those 20 lifeboats actually went back to the sea of people's cries to try and save a few more. But the other 19 hung, out, hung back, uh, uh, you know why? Out of fear, out of anxiety. They heard the cries. They for sure heard people screaming and crying, but they just pretended. They just covered their ears and pretended them away. A couple years later, 1914, a team set out across Antarctica. A crew of, uh, uh, or they sent out to cross Antarctica. And a crew of 27 men were on this ship that ended up getting stuck between uh, two icebergs on their way there. They were stranded for 10 months in between these icebergs. For 10 months, waiting for help. Hoping that one of the other people who tried to cross and voyage across Antarctica would see them, but nobody came for 10 months. And they finally had to abandon ship when their, their ship started getting crushed by the moving ice. They waited for 10 months, nobody came, and then their, their ship starts to get crushed, and then they bail. And so the captain takes a few du dudes on a couple lifeboats, and he sets out on like this unbelievable 800-mile journey on these small boats to find help. Mind you, 1914, this is why, like, while World War I is, is raging around across the seas. So they get there. They got help. They travel back. They're able to save and rescue the rest of the team, and everyone survives. You see, when the first group, when the Titanic, when the first group acted out of fear and busied themselves in anxiety, pretending the hard things away, pretending the hard noises away, way too many people drowned. When we move forward in faith, and we're together as a family, man, everyone survived. Everyone survived. You see, by the grace of God, you can be that faithful, non-anxious presence your child needs for their faith to survive. Rest in God's faithfulness. Number five, good parenting teaches the uniqueness of God. You need to teach your children how unique God is. 
verse 4 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You see, your children need to know that God is unique, that there is none who compares to him. In the same way that you fear the Lord, man, raise your kids so that they fear the Lord too. They need to know how good and awesome God is. That means you, 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 you are, you're always dropping teaching moments on how, how wonderful God is, on how enjoyable he is, and how grateful you are for him. Earlier this week, uh, we took our kids to Disneyland. And as we were getting ready for uh, Disneyland, I asked our kids, man, how fun is it that we live in a world, that God placed us in a world in a time where we get to go to Disneyland, right? And they're like, yeah, God's amazing, right? Every time we see like a beautiful sunset just like lights up the sky with all these amazing colors, right? We love to point, out, point it out to our kids and just say like, man, look how Look how creative and good and wonderful God is. And I love this more than anyone, like our youngest, Judson, he's only three years old. Uh, he, every time that he sees a beautiful sunset, before like it's caught my eye, he'll say, Daddy, look. Dad, look. He'll say, so pretty. And he'll say, God did that. And I just go, yeah, he did, son. You see, when Moses says the Lord is one, what he's confronting is a popular view of the surrounding culture that there was many different gods. This is his way of contrasting the truth and goodness and grace of God and showing that he's so much better than anything the world could ever offer. It's saying, it's his way of saying, hey, look, God is unlike anyone or anything that you've ever heard of in your life. And man, as parents, it's our job to show our kids that. Number six, good parenting models a wholehearted commitment to Jesus. Verse five says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. That means every area of your life should show a lifeline to Jesus, show a connection to the vine. Some of us, some of you are holding back areas of your life that look untouched by God's transforming grace. Man, let me tell you, your kids are going to notice that. You see, to model a wholehearted commitment to Jesus, your kids need to see not that you're perfect and have it all together, but that you lead in repentance. What is repentance? It's acknowledging your sin, your brokenness, turning from it, and running back to Jesus. It's what we do every Sunday, every Lord's Day on the front part of our liturgy. A prayer of confession, acknowledging our sin, and receiving God's grace. Look, at our home, like no one hears us repent more than our kids do, and they don't hear us repent enough. None of us have it all together. One of the differences between the Christian family and the family next door is that the parents in the first home know their sin and admit their sin, ask for forgiveness, and walk in the confidence of God's grace. Number seven, I told you there was a lot of points. Number seven, good parenting begins discipleship in the home. Good parenting recognizes that discipleship begins in the home. Read verses six and seven with me. 
Verse 6 and 7 says that these words I, that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. This tells us the primary place that your child is discipled should be in your home. That means you don't use a school, you don't even use a private school to disciple your children. You don't use the church to disciple your children. Now, to be clear, as a church, we are committed and here to come alongside you as a church to help you disciple your kids, but dropping them off on a Sunday is not parenting in a biblical sense. The church is not their parents. That's your gift. That's your role. The church is there to come alongside you in what you're already called to do. And so you must be intentional in your home about sharing the word with your children. Look for those teaching moments. Most of us are not intentional about this. We just sort of coast, right? Look, there's never a bad time to insert the word of God in a conversation with your kids. God has given you as a gift to your children to nurture, lead, and guide them. Some of us, we get in the way of our kids' discipleship. We get in the way of their spiritual growth because, because we find them annoying way too many times. Because they get in the way of me time, right? Nothing wrong with me time, but some of us don't treat our kids because of me time as though they're more important than that me time. As though they're more important than Instagram or Facebook or your favorite Netflix series. There's an Acts 29 church part of our, our church planting network that we belong to. An Acts 29 church in Dallas-Fort Worth area that created a, a helpful model to help families think about discipleship. They talk about it in terms of look for these teachable moments using time, moments, and milestones, right? So let's talk about each of those because I think that this grid, this, this sort of framework is helpful, right? So Teachable moments with time, that means that you are building intentional time together as a family into your regular rhythm of life to be thinking about, talking about, and living out the gospel. Create a regular rhythm of that. Praying. This could look like praying at the meal table. Praying before bedtime. Reading the scriptures together as your children are young. Teaching them the stories of the Bible, the story of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's also moments. Moments, that's where you leverage opportunities that happen to come up randomly in the everyday stuff of life. That's like using a good grade on a test uh, as, a, as an opportunity to talk about how, how God gives us gifts to be used for his glory and to build up his kingdom. Or it's like using an argument that comes up between siblings as a chance to talk about mutual submission and love and respect, or turning the sad and tragic moments of life into opportunities to pray together, to cry out to God together as a family, and to trust him. And look, this is going to include moments that come up, moments of discipline. And listen, children do need to be disciplined, especially when they're younger. They need to be taught right from wrong. They need to be rewarded for behaving rightly and disciplined for behaving wrongly. 
Look, no matter your philosophy on spanking, time out, like taking privileges away, like you can't just coast with this one. You can't just let it happen. Right? Proverbs 29:17 says, "Discipline your son or your daughter and and he will give you rest. He will give delight to your heart." Now listen, I need to be super clear and careful here. Like you need to be safe in your discipline, not harsh, not angry, not belittling, not berating. Not trying to get your kid to the point of crying or failure, but you need to be that calm, confident, faithful presence we talked about earlier. Discipline, all discipline means is correction. Right? Well, some of us hear the word discipline, we think of wrath, right? We think anger and harshness. But no, godly discipline is being sensitive in the spirit to walk with them tenderly and compassionately in these moments where correction is needed. There's also milestones that come up as teaching moments. Milestones, this is when you take sort of the big occasions, the big celebrations of life. You, you take a moment to acknowledge significant milestones and evidence of God's grace at work in the life of your kid or in the life of your family. Here's, a, here's one example from our family. Um, many, many of you know that uh, like a few years ago, our, our daughter had open heart surgery, right? Really scary when we find out that, that she was born uh, with this congenital uh, heart issue. She needed open heart surgery within months. Uh, it was a lot uh, for a young child to, to, to sort of endure. And so uh, on the anniversary of her open heart surgery, uh, we make a point to acknowledge that milestone, to say, hey, hey, G, Geneva, like, do you know what happened like two years ago? Do you know what happened like three years ago? And we, we acknowledge that and we offer a prayer of thanksgiving to God. Sometimes we do something special to celebrate, right? Like one year she went on this, uh, this run, uh, like the color run, you guys know what that is, uh, in Huntington Beach with her, with her mom. You see, parents who leverage milestones look for ways to use significant birthdays, trips, anniversaries, and things like that to reinforce the gospel and their family. Here's my last point. Number eight, good parenting intentionally remembers this calling. You intentionally remember this calling to parent in the ways of the Lord. Verses eight and nine says, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Your hands, your eyes, we learned about this in our series in Revelation, right? Like this is a way of saying, hey, look, make sure that all of this is stored in your head and makes its way out into your behavior, into your hands. Put up reminders in your home, all around you. Remind yourself of the goodness of God, of how he's delivered you from the slavery of death of the new life that you now walk in. Look, this is more than a principle. He's saying, let there be nothing that you do that doesn't flow from the word of God. Set yourself up reminders all around. Before we close, I want to just point out a couple of areas of practical application. I don't have these on the slides, so just listen closely, all right? A couple practical steps, application from this is, number one, in our parenting, man, if you want your parenting to go well, you need to make sure that you're modeling this in your marriage. 
my wife and I were just talking recently about, man, how much we need to grow in that, how much like we, we, we fail at being uh, just that a good model to them. But if you want your kids to know and honor the Lord in, as, as their own people, they need to see how that fleshes out in your life and in your marriage. They need to see how grace flows between a husband and, and, and wife in your marriage. They need to see that, that, that a husband loves and cherishes his wife, that a wife uh, respects her husband, that there's, that there's intimacy in, in the home and tenderness and kisses and hugs and saying goodbye and hello and, and how was your day, right? They need to see that. You also need to remember, we kind of talked about this a little bit, but when you discipline, you discipline out of love, all right? Love your kids. Don't manhandle them. It's okay to have emotions. It's okay to have passions. Those are gifts from God, but you got to rule your emotions. Don't let them rule over you. Next, don't abuse your authority. Respect your children as fellow image bearers made in the image of God. The thing that gives us the most dignity and makes us the most worthy of respect that we're made in the image of God is the same thing that is true of your child. Proverbs says, train up your child so that when he goes in a way, he knows where to go. Look, you're not here to save their soul. But as far as it depends on you, you're pointing them to the power and to the beauty of God. And so respect them. Be tender. Be loving. Next, focus on eternity. We see this kind of littered throughout Deuteronomy 6, but everything has to point to glory. The King, King Jesus, will return. And if you have heaven's mind in your parenting, then you will prioritize their relationship with Jesus. Next, bring your kids to worship. Bring your kids to worship. They need to see that you value Jesus more than football, more than other things. You need to show them that when God says to worship and rest in him one day each week, that we take that seriously. Man, I once overheard my daughter say to someone you know, that we go to church every single week because daddy's a pastor. I'm like, no, sweetie, we go every Lord's Day because that's what Christians do. We belong to Jesus, and that's what Christians do. And with that, lean into your church community for help, right? Lean into us for help. That's what we're here for. That's a big part of our heartbeat, as I shared earlier, right? Like, we're here to come alongside you as you parent your children, as you raise a family in the Lord. We've invested time and money in the resources and programs to help you do that. You need a Bible that's age-appropriate for your children? We'll point you in the right direction. Or we'll give you one, all right? You need some guidance or assistance. We've got, the, like, like when you're trying to figure out how to teach your kids, like, things from the Bible, we've got great video options and studies to help you do that at home, right? Just let us know, and we'll get you all set up. And in the church, we learn from each other. We pass wisdom on from one person to the next as we follow Jesus together. And lastly... Last thing, I want to really drive this one home. Don't be discouraged. Don't be discouraged. 
This isn't based on your works. The Lord gives grace and he helps you out. He gifts you and he gifts the body. So be boldly prayerful and then rest in his faithfulness. When Jonathan Edwards died, a pre preacher from the Great Awakening, when he died, uh, just one of his children was there at his bedside. One of his daughters was there. If you know anything about Jonathan Edwards' story, you know he was a great dad with children and grandchildren who were strong in the faith. Um, I actually happened to know uh, one of his descendants who has the last name Edwards that I did my church planning training with. Uh, he didn't know. He didn't, he didn't grow up in the church. And then he came to, to faith later in life and went to seminary to be a pastor and found out, like, at his seminary that he was related to Jonathan Edwards. Oh, kind of wild. But anyways, this guy's got this incredible legacy, deeply loved by his family. And on his deathbed, he told his daughter to tell her brothers and sisters who weren't there. He said, tell them it is time for them to look to a father who does not die. You see, Edwards was a great father, yet he knew that in the end of all ends, he had to tell his children, look, I am not the ultimate father you need. I've just been a vessel of love that comes from our heavenly father. And now that vessel is gone, and so you go straight to the source. You see, unless you love the real father, the heavenly father, you will not be able to parent your children well and the love and grace he provides. You'll either passively sit by while the world disciples them for you, or you'll hover over them anxiously because you find your identity in them performing instead of finding your identity in your creator. You have to be free from your need to control so that you can truly point them to the God of all grace. And you only get that freedom from the Lord Jesus Christ. So go to him. Go to him. Rest in him and find the power to become sons and daughters of God. Thank you for listening to the King's Cross Church Podcast. We'd like to encourage listeners to be part of a local church gathering. If you're ever in the Orange County, California area, we'd love it if you'd come by and visit on a Sunday morning. For meeting times and locations or any other information about us, please visit kx.church. There's no .com in that, just kx.church. Thanks again for listening.